0: you would flip with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we will be reading starting in verse 1. Oh, 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 Brian, oh man, and down. All right, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1. Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, <clears throat> making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our, of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Not only in Macedonia uh, and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report to us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and a true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the helper, the comforter, the interceder, your very spirit. Lord, that he may open the eyes of our heart to your living word, to see Jesus in your word that you have given to us and you have preserved throughout the ages. God, we thank you for the example of many who have gone before us, for those who are of good report, like the Thessalonians, even for those, as we finished uh, Corinthians a little while ago, of bad examples that we now later can learn from as you have inspired your word to speak forth and sound throughout the ages of what is the true and living hope that we have in you. Father, may we learn of you and just sit at your feet this morning, God, and see you and worship you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our might, and all of our soul. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to start by saying thank you for all who have wished us well into our new phase of life, that is parenting, as was announced this morning. Uh, my wife Jewel is here and doing very well. Uh, Brielle Dawn Patterson is here as well and also doing really well. She was born May 24th at 2:34 p.m. Uh, she was eight pounds four ounces, 21 and a half inches long. So we, we're hoping she's going to be like a volleyball superstar later in life. Very active. Uh, we have really, really cherished our time with her already. It's definitely a new phase of life. This is our, our first child, so, you know, all you parents, you know, oh yeah, it's brand new. Nothing we could have really quite expected um, with all the, you know, potentially hard things that have come up and, and the fun things. Uh, We know this that the Lord is all the time working, uh, changing our lives, and we pray that He is changing her into His image through us, as we know that we are being changed into His image through her. So thank you for continuing to pray for us. Um, At His Hill, we've just wrapped up our Bible school portion of the year and uh, made a very, very fast transition into camp, into staff training. And it's a time where we really think and believe that this is the application phase for our Bible school students to take all that they were taught in Bible school and to really, in a very practical way, apply it into their lives. And I couldn't help but to think back to my very first summer as a counselor, to my very first cabin. These next two weeks are considered our scholarship weeks of camp, and. Um, I had a camper who, from it seemed like the very beginning, uh, was just the exact opposite of me. Uh, he, I, I really have not seen a camper interact interacted with a camper quite like him since uh, that, that opening week of camp. Every form of rebellion that was possible was attempted in this first couple of, day, of days. I found myself quickly running out of patience, running out of strength, uh, and it was only three days into camp. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> How is this even possible? Um, that, that next night, Thursday night, uh, we had what seemed to be a really good, groundbreaking conversation about behavioral change. And I, I walked back into the cabin with him, very encouraged um, with that talk. He seemed to accept what I had said and, and seemed to want to have changed. However, shortly afterward we were on our way to the showers and I had told him, "Hey, we can't play tetherball right now. We can play tetherball later." To which warranted a response of turning and spit entering my face. And I was just struck with astonishment in that moment. And In that moment, right by the tetherball pole on the guy's side of camp, I remember that was the last straw, (laughs) right? He had hit the very last nerve I had um, already in the fourth day of camp, and it took every lesson I had in Bible school, It it took every hour of sitting in the chapel, it took Every ounce of the Spirit of God to remind me in that moment that my life is not my own. That I was once too a rebellious child like this, maybe not to this degree, but still was rebellious. And there was nothing that I did to warrant the grace of God that He gave to me. And so the choice was there, do I choose myself and my emotion or do I choose Christ? Do I choose to show him the strong, authoritative counselor, or do I choose to show him Jesus in that moment? Uh, that moment I chose Jesus. You know, my life was not my own. And um, through the course of that summer, that one singular event changed the rest of how the summer looked for me. It was the choice to trust Christ in that moment that He knows how to reach this kid better than I do, and that may look like the perseverance of wiping spit out of my face and continuing to pursue Him. Um, this morning, I if I could title it in one phrase, it would be that uh, it would be that which of active faith, faith which moves, faith that has hands and feet, faith that works, works. The Thessalonian church, uh, just a a little bit of background here, seemed to be a church that actively remembered Christ, their Savior, on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment in decisions, and therefore acted in such a way that Christ was being visibly demonstrated to all that are around them. They were really living as an aroma of Christ, as uh, Paul encouraged the Corinthian church. Three times Paul praises this church. So if you look with me, starting in verse 2, he says in chapter 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Also in chapter 2, in verse 13, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but that which it really is, the word of God, which is able to work, or I'm sorry, which also performs its work in you who believe. And then finally, in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, For what things can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which you rejoice before our God on your account? This was a good church. This was a church that was actively participating in the grace that God had given to them. In 1 Corinthians, we don't have to flip there, but 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul makes mention that there are three vital aspects of the Christian life. He says, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And these are the three topics which Paul praises the Corinthians for. So he's, you know, reprimanding the Corinthians. These are what you need to be pursuing in Christ. And he is exhorting the Thessalonians that these three characteristics are being seen in them. Look with me in verse 3. He says, We've been giving thanks of you, always making mention of you, by your work of faith, by your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to take a little bit of time and just look at um, those three characteristics that is true of the Thessalonians, and really to be asking ourselves: are we participating in the grace of God like the Thessalonians were? That we are we imitating their faith as they imitated the apostles who imitated Christ. The work of faith. In most evangelical churches, we never even think to put these two words together, right? We run away. We separate. Work, faith, never, right? Because faith is not a work. We did not receive our salvation by any good work that we have done. So we come to this verse, and we see, bearing in mind your work of faith. What is that all about then? Well, we first have to remember the context, that this is written to believers. This is written in verse 1 there, to the church. He's going to say down in verse 5, um, I'm sorry, verse 4, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. All right, so these are believers, they're they are, they are part of the family, the big capital C Church of God. And so from that, he launches into this exhortation that faith, to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in our day-to-day, moment-by-moment decision-making, it can be hard work. I think of James. The book of James reminds us as believers, again, also written to believers, that if we say we have faith, but it is not manifested or revealed into our life practically, He says, what use is it? What worth is that faith? It has no value. If you flip with me just a couple of books over to Philippians, in chapter 2, Paul writes as well to a, a church that is doing well in the Lord, the Philippian church, starting in verse 12. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we pause again there. Work, faith, how do these have connections? Because faith is not merely a theoretical lifestyle. Faith is not simply verbiage. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. It doesn't stand alone, but it naturally, faith by its very nature, acts. Faith by its very nature is demonstrated. It, it moves. It has hands. It has feet. It requires elbow grease. There as we believe in the Lord. Working out your salvation in another way that... Uh, The writer, maybe the most true way that he writes this, it simply means to manifest what is true of our salvation. So we've been saved by the grace of God. Not by any work that we have done. We've been saved by the grace of God. So now work out what God has worked in your heart. And it carries this uh, illustration naturally of an idea of a worker in a wheat field. He says, go into the wheat field and take out the harvest that the ground and the seed has produced. Right? The seed has done the work. The farmer has planted it. He has watered it. He has saved it for his time. And now you as the harvester go out and collect all that you possibly can from the grain field, showing, maybe in the market at home, whatever, what is true of what was planted. Same idea of a worker in a mine. Go into the mind and take out the gold that was always there, sealed up into the rock there. So that we are to be exercising what God has worked into us. This should be the normal life of a Christian on a day-to-day basis. Not just the simple profession of faith, I'm a Christian and in living life as if our life is our own. What does work of faith look like practically? Well, for me, it is practical. The work of faith is practical. Uh, I, I had never in my past considered myself to be a, a prideful person. That maybe shows you where my heart was at that time. But I, you know I, I really could honestly tell you, That, you know, pride was never something, I never thought I was better than anyone, you know, never really had this grand lofty idea of myself. Uh, You know, I I pretty much knew who I was and was, was pretty content with that. But in my past, there was a moment, there was a time in which I was really struggling to choose to love someone. Really choose to believe that God had this person in my life for a reason. And my heart and my mind just kept finding all the negatives about this person and it was just natural. It was so easy just to think, you know, whether I was with that person in person or whether they are even gone, I would just so naturally think about the negatives there to the point that I was just getting upset by myself in my house for no reason, just thinking of how this person was doing things differently than me. Now, I teach at a Bible school, and so there are you know, many times when I'm talking about pride, I'm talking about humility, and I could tell you five verses off the top of my head why every thought that I was having was negative, why that was wrong, why that was sinful, right? It wasn't that I didn't know. It was that I wasn't applying and walking in what was true. I knew what was true, but I wasn't living in the truth. I was letting sin have its reign in my mortal body. And I remember one day, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, What I am doing is the very opposite of Christ. But it requires action. It requires action on my part to take my thoughts captive. To every time I'm I'm tempted to believe this this lie about this person, I need to take that thought captive in that moment to the obedience of Christ and submit that to His feet. To say, this is not true of you, Jesus. Jesus. And for me, it actually had to be a physical word said. Lord, this is not true of you. Take this from me. And it was an all-day, all-week kind of constant when a thought would come into my mind, take it captive, and submit it. It was hard work. It was hard work believing what was true of God, what was true of his character, and then applying that into my life. Faith naturally takes action. Faith chooses to pick up our cross and to die to ourselves daily. Faith is packing up our tents, if we're using an Old Testament. Example is packing up our tents and choosing to follow the pillar of fire or the cloud of God in front of us. To walk behind Him, not beside Him or not in front of Him, but to choose to believe that He knows where He's leading me because I've never been there before, but He has. Is choosing in that moment to die to myself, to say my life is not my own, but I have a God who knows me better than I know me. Therefore, I will follow you. Therefore, I will trust you. Therefore, I will obey you. Even though it goes against every physical part of my flesh, it goes against every uh, emotional part of my mind, I must submit that to Christ. It is the active choice and decision to trust Jesus instead of our emotions. To live in the promises of Christ in who He is rather than what others are speaking over us. The work of faith is the work of submission. It's the work of submitting my life, to wake up and submit my life to the one and only King and Lord of life. And to believe what he says of me, to believe what he says is my purpose, to be defined by his name and not my own. When I went through Torchbearers, uh, I got to CIU, Columbia International University. And, um, you know, at, at his hill, the, the, the verse is Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And I remember, you know, going there and I would, I would tell people that and they would laugh at me sometimes. And they would laugh and say, dude, that is, that is just an excuse. That's such an excuse to just do nothing. That's passivity. And I had to laugh back because I thought, have you ever died to yourself? <laughs> have you ever chose to say, not my will, but yours be done when it comes to that person or when it comes to that decision or when it comes to that relationship? Have you ever done that? Yeah. How easy is that for you? Right? How passive was that for you? <laughs> it's not. It's one of the hardest things in the world to believe and to trust God for even a simple decision. To submit and say, my life is not my own, but Christ, it revolts against every single part of my flesh. It is hard work to constantly bear that in my mind. It goes against physical, emotional, and spiritual flesh of me. So the activity of faith is believing that Christ is greater than my emotions. Christ is greater than my short-sightedness in my life. He's greater than my weaknesses. And as 1 John says, he's greater than even my own heart. Elizabeth Elliot said, Worship is not merely an experience. Worship is an act and it is a discipline. It It is the thoughts that we take captive to the obedience of him. Is an act and a discipline that involves every part of us, every part of our being. And it is a work that Christ is faithful to meet us in. Right? As we submit to him, he's not this cosmic bully that says, ha-ha, now you've given me you know, your lunch money, and I'm going to do whatever I want. Right? And it's going to go against everything you like or everything you love. No, he knows that he has designed us and made us for himself, that our hearts are truly at rest when they are fully submitted to Him, in that hard work of choosing to trust Him, in that moment for that decision, He meets us with a joy that is unending. He meets us and really, really begins to breathe life into our spirit. He is faithful to accomplish all that we yield to Him. And what we yield to Him is is our life. So He is faithful to accomplish all that He desires in our life when we choose to trust Him. And if you're still in Philippians with me, that section we talked about working on our salvation with fear and trembling, it finishes with verse 13 and reminds us, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That God is at work in us, both to bring His purposes to pass through us, as we are choosing to trust him and stand upon his promises. His work and his glory will be seen through our life. But we say amen. It's hard. It's constant. The second specific that he gives is very uh, similar. So he says, bearing in mind your work of faith, he says, and labor of love. Work, labor, those are synonymous terms in our uh, English language. It's to give service to someone. So I like to read this and see this. This is the service of love. Service, it is not a word or tongue. It is a action. It is a deed, as First John says. Do not merely say that you love one another by word and, te- by, by word and deed, but demonstrate that love for one another. This is what verse 5 goes on to say Our gospel that you believe did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Right? The gospel of God did not just come by an explanation. You know, the, the, the apostles weren't just explaining what they believed. No, God sent forth the living word, Jesus Christ. The living were at the right time, he sent him into this world. And he demonstrated, and he shows throughout the Gospels, what is life meant to be? Lived in absolute and utter dependence upon the Father. As Jesus walked and everything he did and everything he said, I do not do it out of my own initiative, but everything I hear and say is from the Father. And that is to be the very demonstration of what we are to be acting as. And everything we do and everything we say is done from utter dependence upon Christ. Jesus came in the fullness of power. He was the full representation of the power of God, the word of God, the conviction of God. And as he ascended to the Father, he sent down the Holy Spirit now to live within us, to lead, to guide, and to convict this world of what is true and therefore of what is Sin. When I think of a labor of love or when I think of service, uh, maybe you're like me, the, 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 the example that I see in Scripture is John 13. Right? John 13, before Jesus launches into his last words to his uh, apostles there in the upper room discourse, before you get to 14, 15, 16, and 17, you have John 13. And as Jesus, he has, de- he has earnestly desired to eat the Passover with his disciples. Right? He says, knowing where he had come from and where he was going, in his last act, he stands up. And you almost think, like, okay, like he's going to you know, stand up, bring out the sword. He's going to defeat you know, Judas. He's going to defeat the devil in this big confrontation. But rather, Jesus stands up from the supper table and he brings out a towel and he brings out a basin of water. And he chooses to go to each one of his disciples and to serve them, washing their feet. That's not what you expect Jesus to do, you know, to defeat sin. You're going to wash disciples' feet? You're going to serve? That's not what we expect. But if you flip back with me into the book of John, chapter 13, John chapter 13, starting in verse 13. He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. And then he follows This by soon explaining in John 13, starting in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't think you could be any more clear. The new commandment, love one another. How do we love one another? By serving and choosing to sacrificially serve one another. How is love demonstrated? By sacrificial service for one another. Considering one another more highly than yourselves. Not forsaking your own assembly, but choosing to encourage that person while well, today is called today. The labor of love is to serve Diligently. The labor of love is sacrificial service with payment and reward not being given here in this world but that which is heavenly. The second example I think of, when I think of the labor of love in the work of love to choose to love someone and value them more highly than ourselves was greatest displayed a couple chapters later in John in the garden of gethsemane and that is where jesus on the night in which he was betrayed labored in love for us for the disciples whom he loved and even for his enemies that he did not or I'm sorry that did not know him nor love him he labored praying earnestly to the Father, praying with such passion and intensity that drops of blood are coming from his face, proclaiming, not my will, but yours be done. I think we, we often forget the labor that led up to the cross. You know, for the joy set before him, he endured, but he endured trial. In that garden, he was laboring in love for those who were about to betray him. Those whom he came to save were the ones that rejected him. And yet, he loved them to the end. Even after that with Peter, rejecting him. And yet, he chooses to go and to restore him. This is the love of God. And this is the love that we Have been given in Christ. We as a church are a new creation. We are not just better, we are new. We are, with the name of Jesus over us. We've been joined together with the author of love, the perfecter of love. And so we labor in love for others to serve others by or out of the love that God has so loved us with. We labor for one another. You're going to labor for your campers. You're going to labor for your family, for your friends, for your workers, choosing to love them and to sacrifice for them even when they reject you because God has so loved you in that way. And I think each one of our testimonies are demonstrations of that, that there were many, many days where we chose to labor for something or someone other than Christ, and yet he was faithful to pursue us you think, but what about that one guy? <laughs> but does that even apply to that one person? Does that apply even to that one camper who you know, spits into your face? And Philippians four nineteen says, God is faithful to supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ. Yes, even to that person, because it is not your love in which you are loving them with. You are simply choosing to submit yourself To the author of love, that he may through you demonstrate his love, yes, to that one who has even spit in your face. And yes, he is able. He is able to do far, far more abundantly than all that we think and all that we ask. Back to 1 Thessalonians. The last part of this this section, verse 3, is number 3 and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to flip there. Um, Hebrews 6 personifies hope as an anchor. And then that anchor is later told to us who is behind the picture, and that is the beautiful picture of Jesus himself. So that Jesus is our hope. This church, by their active faith, by their love for one another, as we're going to see later on, even through trial and tribulation, painted a beautiful picture of Jesus' unfailing faithfulness in the life of a believer that chooses to trust him. That knowingly, by by accepting the word of Christ, by, by giving my life to Christ, that persecution will come. They saw Jesus as greater. They saw Jesus as better. I think who or what your hope is in will be the measure of your steadfastness in trials. Who or what your hope is in will be the measure of your anchor in trials. If my hope is found in anyone else, even the, the, the most beautiful, the most loving person that I know, my wife, If my hope singularly is found in her, I will be left wanting. The reality, he says here, is that the steadfastness of hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is that our hope goes beyond us. It goes beyond anything in this temporal world. But is found in the eternal Christ. Through whom this whole world was made, in in Him everything holds together. Colossians one says that He has rescued us from the domain of sin. He is keeping us uh, and and keeping and, and continuing to perform His faithfulness today, and that He is coming back. He has not just abandoned us or left us as orphans here, but He is coming again. It hasn't already happened. We continue to look forward. By faith, choosing to trust him. So that because he is forever faithful and that he is forever able, I'm sorry, he is forever faithful and forever available, he is forever able to hold our faith that we may endure all things and even, as James says, find joy in all things. I pray these three characteristics are being true in us as they were true in the Thessalonian believers. But I want to end and and just encourage you to show you, and we we get this awesome, uh, the scripture's written for us to see, kind of a bird's eye view, all that was happening. The Thessalonians didn't know this until they probably read this letter. But there was a result that was happening from choosing to work in faith, labor in love, and hope with steadfastness. And this is what he says in verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. This is awesome. They they must have gotten wind of what Paul told the Corinthians. Imitate me as far as I imitate Christ. Because in doing so, they were encouraging the church, capital C. The believers in that whole area to continue on in whatever trial and whatever tribulation that they were facing. The reality was that they knew persecution, but that Jesus was better. The character of Christ in their lives, by choosing to trust him and to walk by faith, showed far shown far greater than the despair of our outward circumstances. And others were encouraged to continue on in their faith. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you hear of a brother or a sister who is you know in a in a hard place in a hard time. Uh, recently, for for Jewel, uh, it was one of her uncles, mid forties. Out of nowhere, his leg is just really, really bothering him. Goes up for a normal check-in. Leukemia is riddled throughout his body. And so, you know, we've been hearing the updates. We've been praying for him. Out of the blue, actually the day of our labor, the, on the 24th, the morning of, he texts Jewel. Hey, can we FaceTime? We're like, oh, okay. And I'm just kind of preparing, like, you know, what, what do you say to someone who has four boys? Right from 16, 17 to I think eight or nine. And he's in a bad, bad place. What do you say to someone like that? Right? So we get onto FaceTime and we, we open it up. His name is Mark. And Mark has just got the biggest smile on his face. The whole conversation, he is encouraging us in his struggle, but also encouraging us about what we're about to face. And, you know, the labor and the life of a child coming forth. And I'm just sitting there. I, I don't know what to say because I'm like, this is, this is backwards. Like, I'm the one who should be encouraging you because you're in the harder place circumstantially. No, but his joy and his peace and his contentment is Jesus. And therefore, even in his struggle, he is the one giving encouragement to me. That may, that, that was a, quite a memorable uh, moment for me. It's just been burned onto my heart. You know, whatever may happen, his joy and his life in Christ continue to spur me on in mine. And I'm in a relatively good place. You know, I don't have that kind of physical hardship. Maybe that's happened to you. You've gone to encourage someone and you walk out more encouraged than when you came by that person. You almost feel like a failure. You know, like, did I not say enough? Like, did I not, you know, saying no. That's just how God has orchestrated it. That in our weakness, his power is shown perfectly. And it spurs us on in godliness. Their faith was an encouragement to the, the by even their persecution, to the rest of the brethren in Macedonia and in Achaia. And greater says that the, the personified faith, that was sounding forth. Look at verse 8. Not even done. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, like a siren. Not only in Macedonia in and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Verse 9, For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and a true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So now it even seems that their activity in the grace of God is sounding forth, not just to encourage other believers, but also unbelievers are hearing the report about their faith and the hope they have in persecution, right? The choice to love and to submit to God, that others are turning from idols and turning to the one true living God. What an incredible encouragement to receive, is, you know, to, to read this letter out loud. I'd like to think, of, you know, Paul's kind of saying to them, if, if he's saying it to us, we are seeing Jesus in you so much that the word is traveling across the worldwide web about the height and the depth. ...of your life in Christ... ...that we're just going to sit back. Like, we don't even take, need to take our fourth missionary journey. Like, you are carrying the torch... ...in which we began in you. That's awesome. And that should be true of us. And that should be true of our local churches. Right? That as you know, this church was founded by one who is o- obeying the Lord... ...he has gone and he has you know, planted this church in the Lord that we are taking up the gospel and by our lives practically, by our decisions and choices practically, that we're encouraging other churches and other believers here in Bernie, but also that people who don't know the Lord Jesus are seeing Jesus in us. In our submission, we are not only just talking about Christ, but we are showing Jesus. The report was coming to the ears and those who were hearing it wanted to forsake the idols and turn to Christ and to wait alongside of this church for the second coming of Christ with hope, with anticipation of life and to see Jesus and to not know condemnation but to know acceptance but to know true, genuine fellowship for the rest of their days. I must say as as we end here Simple choices of obedience are the foundations of great movements of God. It starts with simple choices of faith. That God, the everlasting, the eternal, sovereign God, works through. Simple acts of obedience. And you look through the Old Testament, and you see the same in Noah. He simply believed, and he started working. And he started working to put this boat together. You see Abraham, God said to him, go to a country, and he believed, and he walked out. He turned and walked, and just kept walking, until God said, now, stop. Moses, though begrudgingly, eventually, he went, and he spoke. And through, he says, of his own mouth, a mouth that is basically useless, God says, I have made your mouth, and I am able to speak through it. Just go, and I will through you, so much so that he was an ambassador of God. Simple choices of obedience, God uses for profound effects. I don't think the Thessalonians knew quite the extent until Paul wrote this letter to them. How great their testimony was sounding out! I don't think they knew how far it had gone. I think they, you know, if they heard it, it was just so humble to say. We've just been choosing to die to ourselves and let Jesus live. That's all we've been doing. And God was using that for incredible purposes. So I pray today that we would be sober-minded enough to see that our obedience to Christ is not just the me and Jesus thing. It's not just me and Jesus. But the results could have consequences that may lead to persecution, but greater than that, that the aroma and the siren of hope and eternal life would be given to this world that is quickly passing away. That we would be a church that is practically living out our faith, living out what God has worked into us by choosing Jesus to be glorified in every choice and decision, by laboring to love others as we have been so loved by Christ and to set our anchors into him with joy, remaining steadfast through trials, that this world may see the great faithfulness of God. I just want to close my flipping to 1st Thessalonians at the very end of this book chapter 5 starting in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He who calls you and He also will bring it to pass. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You again have given us Your Spirit. You have not left us or abandoned us as orphans. God, every command that you have given to us, that you have met that need through your Spirit. And it is our simple choice to believe that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you, the, the choice is ours to submit to you or to really submit to ourselves, ourselves being the worst and the cruel taskmaster and you being the author and perfecter of life. Lord, I pray that our faith does have hands that serve one another, that it does have feet that go to others who need to know you. Lord, that we are choosing in the work of our mind to take our thoughts captive, to choose to trust you, to die to ourselves, that you and your surpassing greatness may be seen in us. And Father, that we, by your very Spirit, will remain steadfast through trials, through the persecution of others. Lord, that this world may see that there is a greater grace in your name. So Father, it is your work, it is your life. May your will be done in us. In your name we pray, amen.